and welcome to the second episode of the BPD Bunch talk show. We have a panel of people who are in functional recovery from borderline personality disorder, and each week a few of us get together to discuss BPD-related topics to help give you insight into the different ways BPD can be expressed in someone's life. We'll also cover the different paths we followed on our recovery journeys to give you hope and direction for your own. For our first season, we're talking about each of the nine BPD symptoms, our experiences with them, and what helped us to overcome them. I'm your host, Zanny, and today I'm here with Alex, Laura, Jay, Mo, and Selene. So how's it going today, everybody? Good. good. <laughs> Pretty good. Same as always. <laughs> Today, we are going to talk about the second BPD symptom listed in the DSM-5, unstable interpersonal relationships. So I don't know what it was like for all of you, but uh, I think one of the things that I really struggled with was that I put all of my energy into my romantic relationships when I was in them. And so I became so consumed by my romantic relationships that I kind of put all my other friends and family on the back burner. And the only time that I really went back to spend a lot of time with them was when my romantic relationships failed. So the only time those people saw me was when I was miserable and in pain and I kind of burned them out. I also really struggled with this phenomenon where I wanted to be close to people, but not so close to them that I couldn't stand to lose them. And so I did a lot of really dysfunctional things to try to maintain that impossible balance. Uh, I used to try to really test people and push their boundaries and be like, can you handle me kind of thing? You know, I, I did a lot of oversharing. Like, I'm going to tell you all of my trauma up front. So that way there's no surprises and that can't be a reason you abandon me later. And the, la the last thing, this is the thing that I think was really hard for people to handle is that I... I wanted to see myself in other people so badly that I tried to force other people to be just as emotional as I was. My poor mother got the brunt of this because she's very non-reactive. She's not very, not very emotional, like she's a very, very calm person. And I used to just like scream at her all the time to try to force her to have a big, intense emotional reaction because it really bothered me that she didn't have this extremely expressive emotions on her sleeve kind of thing. And it was just like, there's no way that this is real. You ha there, There's got to be something under here. And I just, like, I hate to use this word, but like, I was pretty like verbally abusive to her when I was like 16, 17, because I just, not seeing myself in her made me feel really alone. So that's how unstable relationships manifested in my life. What about the rest of you? Wow. Every time I'm on here on the show, I'm like, man, I'm so glad we, I'm so glad Zanny put this together because it's incredible to hear someone and it's so validating and you go, oh, really? You did that too? Like, geez, uh, unstable relationships for sure has been a very, uh, very big thing in my life uh romantically same you know what i mean you invest all your time in that romance and you pretty much don't pay attention to anybody else no friends nothing exists only that universe and when that universe cracks then it's when you go back and like zanny said it's probably not the best way people want to see you i think one of the biggest things when she mentions uh abusive verbally I was too I always expected the same emotions from people and I couldn't understand why they weren't feeling that so I too would uh then scream at them until I could see some kind of relative emotion and I think one of the things that impacted me the most is that that she mentioned it you know you want to stay in that balance of I want you here but I don't I, I don't want to be scared of you abandoning me so there's always that constant struggle and I think the way I dysfunctionally worked it in my mind was like okay I'll treat you like a project you need help I will help you um and then you will be on your way to live your dreams and leave me because that's the way it's going to be so it was very it was also narcissistic of me to even think that I could just 
you know, fix people up and send them on their way, but it's also fear of abandonment and all of that. And obviously that's been a struggle throughout my life, not just romantically, but with my family, with my friends. Uh, I end up pushing them away or overstressing them because I want them to maybe reach their potential and I end up over just, just stressing everybody out around me. So uh, even though it's a lot different, man, I love this show. I wanna hear, I wanna hear everybody else too. So for me, I can really relate to um, the whole thing of like, I don't know, like using your anger and stuff to kind of like push people away because I would lash out a lot on people. But for me, my problem was, and this isn't just for romantic partners, but when I had, when I met a new friend or anybody like that, I would just instantly like bond with them, you know, Um, and I would like sort of like become them in a way like I wanted to dress like them and act like them because I didn't know who I was you know um so I would attach I would like attach myself to somebody and then they would do something that just made me mad and then I would like lash out and decide I would split I would decide that they were like horrible and terrible and then I would let them know how much I hated them and at the end I really didn't have a lot of friends or people who I was super close to. I had a few, but not a lot. Cause I would just like, I would get so clingy. I would meet someone and I would just think they were so great. And then like, they could just do the smallest thing. And I would just get so angry and so hurt. And I would just cuss them out basically. So I can relate to like being verbally abusive and it sucks to know that, but I'm better now. So Mostly with me, it was finding somebody worse off than me so that I wouldn't look so bad by comparison. I didn't have to think about my problems because this person had so many other problems. And then when their problems would inevitably get better, then we, yeah, then that's when the bad started. Then they could focus on me and they're like, wow, you're, you're messed up. And I'm like, no, you're messed up. You're still messed up. So I have to fix you. And yeah, and they leave. And I'd, I'd never get mad at them or anything. I would never get angry that anyone left. It would just be like, well, that was inevitable. You know, which is probably worse. Because I didn't really, there wasn't really an emotional outlet when someone would leave. Like it would just, it would all be internalized as that figures. You know, this is all my fault. Shame spiral. There's that quote that's often attributed to Marilyn Monroe. If you don't, uh, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And I've always thought, if you can't handle me at my worst, I get it. My worst is pretty fucking bad. So there's a door if you need it. I don't think anybody should put up with the worst just to get the best. That's what I think now. I was I was willing to put up with the worst for a very long time. I'm uh, so glad to be here. It's like oh, so many people that have similar experiences. It's amazing. Um, I also, from a family point of view, felt like Zani described in terms of like I just felt like an alien, like so different. My emotions were so big. Um, the joy and the sadness and the anger, all of it. Um, and I was met by just like, yeah, I mean, you're just a kid, you know, it's going to get better or, you know, whatever. And so I just, I so desperately wanted to be seen, to be heard, to be loved. that I would just get louder and louder and louder and louder. And I remember at 10, I started to just slam the door and leave the house for like the entire afternoon and do things like that. Um, definitely was verbally abusive to my family for sure. Uh, which is not something that I'm proud of. And it's something that I suppose I've always felt like carrying the guilt of that, like into adulthood and, and doing a lot of repair now of these relationships. Um, from a friend's point of view, it was really different because I always felt like my friend, they, my friends, they don't have to love me. I used to set really high expectations and at the same time test those. And then at the same time, feel like I can't really fully be myself because you would never love me if you knew exactly who I was or how I could be. So it's like this really weird balance. And it's, I think, 
prevented me from having really deep friendships. Like when I sometimes watch movies and I'm like, oh, like, or even TV series like Sex in the City, I'm like, I want friends like that or friends, you know, American sitcom. I don't know if that's realistic or not, but I always felt like, how come I'm not experiencing all of that? Work side of things with managers, it was mentioned a bit by Mo, I've always had this tendency of admiring and then devaluating someone. So I start off a new job. I'm like, oh, my manager, they are the best. They know so much. I love working with them. And then after a few months, maybe they do something that I don't like or, and then I'm like, oh, I hate them now. <laughs> They're the worst manager in the world. And it just goes from like one extreme to another. And I think it changes obviously how I approach them, which then creates more strain on the relationship. And then finally, romantically, definitely can relate to a lot of stuff that was said and the only thing I would add for me is around I get validation reassurance from other people I find it really hard I am really learning this right now uh, but I still find it really hard to give myself like self-compassion self-love all of that oh it's so hard um so I can be like I think yeah really needy and always like but do you love me? Do you really love me? And why do you love me? And tell me more about that, um, which I think can be quite overwhelming for people. It's really interesting hearing everyone's experiences because there's like a common thread, I feel like that runs through a lot of our experiences, but there are so many differences. Like for me, um, I never really like would lash out at people. I always kind of would take things out on myself. And as long as I can remember, like, I always had friends, but I was always afraid that they were going to, like, if they made another friend, that that would be a big deal. Like, I, I would latch on to, like, I would have a best friend and I, like, really looked up to them and wanted to do everything with them. And if they wanted to have other friends, that was really hard for me because that means that they don't have room for me. Like, I remember being in fifth grade and having, like, being on the phone crying with a friend of mine because she wanted to have a sleepover with someone else. And it's, like, really crazy to look back and see these things because it kind of continued up with that until like college as I went through DBT and started to recover I find myself now kind of in the opposite position um feeling like I'm really like struggling to get close to people I still have a lot of really really close friends that I consider like family to me and when I'm with them I'm like completely myself and open and honest and it's like it feels so good and those are really healthy relationships but when I make new friends now I like feel very it feels like closed off in a way. We were talking about like, like you know, sex in the city relationships, like that friendships is always like, oh, I want that. And I have a sister who always has a million friends. She just got married and had like 50 friends at her wedding. How is she so different from me? And like, I have like a handful of really close friends, but like, I can't even imagine having 50 friends at my wedding. Those weren't even all of her friends, which is a crazy thing. In relationships too, same thing, like I, um, I used to just become really infatuated with people pretty quickly. Um, now I actually find that when I first start dating someone, I actually really don't like them. And I tell myself that I don't like them and I really push them away. Then I don't know what happens, but there's like a moment in the relationship where if they do something I really like or I start feeling comfortable around them. And that's when it completely switches. So um, that's when it would be like, okay, I need this person. And that's where, when that fear of abandonment starts to like really come in. At this point in my life, I'm trying to get past that point where it's like the ick, you know? Like I'm trying to get past the point where like I try, I'm pushing someone away in a romantic relationship. Um, but I'm hoping that when I do uh, find someone, you know, a partner to be with for a long time, I can like get past that point and then have a secure relationship with them and not have it be so like, filled with this like fear of abandonment and stuff like that. Well, there's so many things to respond to what Jay said about um, hanging out with people who are like worse off. I feel I feel a little called out by that, actually, because <laughs> I gravitated towards other people who were, quote unquote, like messed up or having struggles. And I always told myself that it was because I wanted people who I could relate to. And I do think that there is a kernel of truth to that. But somebody pointed out to me one time, and this really hit me hard. They said, um, you know, it always just seemed like you wanted to spend time with people who wouldn't challenge you to be better. And I was like, 
oh gosh <laughs> and that there was so much truth to that because it's like when i i realized when i spent time with other people who are really struggling like i was it was kind of like everyone's so focused on their own drama that they're not really trying to make someone else be better. It was kind of like a way to spend time with people without being really close, which brings me to, to some of the stuff that uh, Alex was talking about, um, you know, like being afraid of, of friends, finding other friends. You know, I've always been very possessive of my friends. All throughout high school, I was madly in love with one of my best friends. And anytime she dated anyone, I was like... <laughs> No, this guy isn't good enough for you. I would be like, if something happens to her, I will stab you. You know, like, it was just, like, really aggressive. Totally different vein than what Alex was talking about, but that's just what it reminded me of. I was just like, man, all these poor boys, I just must have traumatized their high school experience. Another thing we were talking about was, like, struggling to get close to people. I had a, a very recent revelation, which was, just because people know about my trauma does not make us close. Closeness is built over time and it's, it's something i'm still kind of kind of working out but yeah those are just the, the thoughts that came to mind after everything that's been said so far that's so funny that you say that because it'd be like you meet someone and you go yes i have Tourette's in the my ppd i used to self-harm i so i just boom you just lay it all on the table and they if they accept <laughs> you you're like oh great it's my best friend and we <laughs> totally get each other right and they're they're probably still processing it and going like whoa you know and that's something that i did a lot and i still struggle with sometimes not oversharing and be like all right let's you know let's take your time something else that Celine mentioned was uh feeling an like an alien and i thought that was such a good word that she mentioned because with my family that's how i felt a lot of the times like why are my emotions so different why do i care so much about things and they don't so I was born in Mexico and I got here when I was six and I spent here from six to 12 and bullying, it was bad, it was just shitty. So from the start, you're different, you know, because you're not American. So it was it was hard. And I remember, uh, you know, reading about what was going on in other countries, in Burma, in Africa, just political things, because I was always into politics. And my mom would be like, why don't you want to eat? And I'm like, because there's no food over there. Or I don't want to smile because someone else is crying. Like, how can you not understand this? You know, so I probably drove my family insane. When I became a teenager, the problem was that aggression started. Like Zanny said, like, I had close friends and I almost wanted someone to hurt them just so I could hurt that other person. You know, it's like, I will kill you if you hurt this person. And I actually was able to bond with my father who, um, you know, left us when I was born uh, recently and he has Tourette syndrome and he has BPD and he was like, oh yeah, he's like, I used to drive around in Mexico City almost hitting another car just so he would get out and I could beat the shit out of him. And I was like, wow, thanks for not living with me, dad, because that probably would have been a lot worse. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's, it's crazy, man. All you guys, it's it's amazing. So I feel like there's kind of a misunderstanding when we talk about like the unstable relationships in BPD. I think a lot of like researchers like generally think because of what it says in the DSM that it's really just like this oscillation between like idealizing and devaluing and then also just like really intense relationships. But I don't think it looks like that for everyone too. I also always would deny that I was ever devaluing someone. But after this conversation, I'm realizing I feel like Every time I had a friend who did something that hurt me, like chose to hang out with other people instead of me, like something like that, like after the relationship crumbled, I see them in a completely different light. It's crazy. Like it is very black and white. I'm think I'm just like thinking about this now. I'm like, wow, like I really loved them so much. And then after they did that thing and I lost them, then I, in my mind, to make the pain, I feel like less, I tell myself like everything like that wasn't good about them. What I've like started to see really, which like through recovery is like seeing people, like both sides of people, you know, we like have to look at like the dialectics of like what the good and bad and that people aren't good or bad. Like they have the good and bad qualities. And it took me a really, really long time to be able to see that. A lot of the instability that I had in relationships was also just staying in relationships where people were really like hurting me and like abusive towards me, but I was idealizing them and I could only see them in a really positive light. No matter what they did, I'm always like, I'm like, oh, but they're a good person. They're a good person. Um, and it's like, well, good people sometimes can do bad things. And in my head, it's like, those are two separate 
things. I don't know if you guys have like felt this way, but I feel like I've had so many friendships in my life. Like I don't, like I have some friends that I've had for a really long time, but for the most part, like a lot of my friendships have been like pretty quick and short lived, um, at least in the past. I'm like hoping to like, like that'll be different from now on in my life, but it's yeah it's like it's like cycles of friendships you know it's like you lose a friend and then there's someone else comes along and you get really close to them and like give everything to them and then something happens and then it's like okay the next person um that's something that's like really for me what categorizes unstable relationships that's so interesting i see everyone is nodding like the last thing that you said oh can so relate to that i don't really have many any <laughs> really long-term friendships um and i've always put it down well it was convenient to think that it was because i moved so much you know from country to country that makes sense right like every time i come to a new country then i make new friends and then we're not in the same country so you know it just fizzles out and then i meet other friends very convenient yeah <laughs> but now we're having this conversation i'm like oh <laughs> there's more to this very interesting um i wanted to bounce off also something that um you said Laura, earlier about uh bullying um because this was part of my story as well growing up i was um i was overweight and i was really badly bullied and excluded from like literally the entire class and they, they even had a song Uh, whale and, and solen and balen. Balen is whale in French and it rhymes and they had this little song like solen, la balen, solen. I would hear that the entire day, every day. Um, and, and all of that really, I feel like, made relationships so much harder because it was like, you know, what are your intentions and, and you know, all of that. And then just so much baggage and so much fear to like, can I trust this person? And yet the inability not to overshare. This is very bizarre. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm kind of like sharing as I'm thinking. So I don't know if anyone can resonate with that, like with the bullying, because you mentioned it. I'm like, oh, maybe there's a connection there that I haven't made to the full extent before. Absolutely, because when you're bullied, there gets to a point where I, I have so much love for people. I want to help them. I want to fix them. But I also grew up hating people because they hated me and 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 i couldn't understand what was wrong with me that no one wanted to be my friend and uh you grow up with a very strange relationship towards people whether that's wanting to love them wanting them to love you or just hating them because of what they did so yeah i, I feel you and i'm sorry that you went through that that's completely unfair then also hating yourself in addition to the like the three things that you you said um yeah yeah It's funny that you mentioned uh, hating yourself because I think that's that's a very common thread throughout um, like BPD for a lot of people. And I it took me a long time to accept that I didn't like myself because confidence, self-confidence, high self-esteem are kind of like prized in a way. It was almost like I couldn't admit to myself that I didn't like myself. That would make me weak. I had this narrative. It was like an, a nearly narcissistic narrative where I like talked myself up and I would tell people like, oh no, this is a struggle for me because I just don't think I'm awesome enough yet. Because for me, shame is an emotion that took me 30 years to realize that I feel it. I didn't, I didn't know how to handle it. It was such a, so, it was so unpleasant that I covered it with all these other layers of things. You know, that was, so that was how I approached myself. And I was like, oh no, it's everyone else with the problem. I'm fine. Because I couldn't handle the shame that came up. Um, the other thing that I was going to say was, uh, Alex was talking about, you know, devaluing earlier. And I think one of the things that kind of bugs me, people like to act as if this idealiz idealizing and devaluing thing is, it's a BPD thing. It's a disordered thing. But I think some level of devaluing people, I think it's part of the normal human experience, especially after breakup or, you know, after an important relationship ends, it's kind of like a lot of people, I think, tell themselves, well, good riddance, I'm better off without them. And they see them in kind of a, a negative slant because it helps them move forwards. And hopefully eventually they see them in a more balanced light. But 
yeah, this idea that that's just a BPD thing, I think, is a total myth. And people need to get out of their heads that, like, the stuff we experience is alien because it's just more extreme. Splitting or idealizing and devaluing someone, it's not only in BPD. It's adaptive to an extent, but it's also, like, adaptive in this, like, very maladaptive way. You know, it's it protects ourselves because if we see someone as good, we want to protect that image of them. And if something bad happens, it's hard to like morph those things together because we just want to see that person as good so badly. And then the opposite's also true. If we see them as bad and then they do something really good, we're not going to like put those things together. We're not going to be like, oh, this person's terrible and they can be nice to me also. Because it's really hard for us to like integrate these two perceptions of other people. And that's like really through, you know, through learning about dialectics or if you're taking a more of like a psychodynamic approach to treatment, it's like you're really trying to integrate how you see other people. So like the good and the bad and seeing it together as one. This can be so painful to acknowledge that someone is doing something terrible if they're really good or if they're doing something really good if they're really terrible. That's fascinating and it's making me think also of um, biases and this uh, halo and uh, horn effect. Uh, and when Alex, you were talking about sometimes when we see people in a good light, no matter what they do, we see the halo. So we just think they're, you know, amazing. And then, yeah, no, it's fascinating. Mm, a lot to reflect on. I was going to pick on some parts of what Zani, you said as well about um, the element of self-confidence and, and being praised for self-confidence in society, I think. There is definitely, I mean, on this call, we have a lot of people from Western backgrounds. Uh, so there's definitely a cultural element to that, I feel like as well. Um, you know, definitely in certain societies, it is praised to be self-confident. In other societies, it is the opposite. It's all about the collective and fitting into that collective, which creates other, you know, traits as well. So it can be different, but both can be very hard to navigate when you have BPD. When I was a lot younger, I loved to be on stage. I was really confident. I was really out there and outgoing. And then the response from the world was too much. It's too much, too intense, too confident, fit in the box, you know, get, get with the collective, you know, and that created a sense of like, oh, I'm not supposed to be like that and if I'm too much it means actually I'm not good enough and if I'm not good enough it means that I should hate myself because obviously I don't fit in I don't belong in this place I don't, I'm not I'm an alien here so a lot of these kind of conclusions came so it's interesting how two completely cultural settings and set of values can lead to the same mm -hmm. kind of narrative being integrated um, by by the person and then uh, I'll just end this thought on you know, recently through kind of the therapy and, and learnings, I've been reflecting a lot on this idea that you can't truly love others if you don't love yourself. And I always struggled with that because for me, I was a giver. I, I, mm -hmm. you know, I gave everything. And yeah, if I had to change myself, if I had to fit in somehow, it didn't matter because it's not about me. It's about help, helping other people. It's about being there for other people. That kind of savior kind of attitude, right? Which in itself is really problematic. And only now I'm discovering, hang on, I need to spend a bit more time on that love within. Otherwise, I am losing myself in others rather than loving others, which is different. Wow. Yes. So many of us have a savior complex. <laughs> <laughs> and going off of what you said and kind of um, wanting to share how I also started getting, uh, well, you know, aside from therapy and everything else that I did kind of started helping with this part of BPD, of my BPD diagnosis was culture. So, and so it's really good that you brought it up because um, I grew up from a family who is Mexican and we still had a lot of our, our beliefs that are pre-Hispanic beliefs. So when we're born, we're baptized, you know, you have to be baptized in the Catholic church because if not, you can't go to school in Mexico, but you all, we also got baptized in our own belief. And when we got baptized, you get your gifts. And my grandma would always tell me since I was little, your gift was the gift of speech and you're going to heal people with your mouth, but there's going to get to a point where everyone's going to think you're crazy and that's going to challenge you. And then you're going to get better. And hearing that as a kid was like when it started to happen. And I just, 
And until this day, I don't know, science, belief, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it was because she said it so many times. But it allowed me to begin my recovery. And my recovery was very scientific, medication and, and therapy and everything that I did. But the beginning was purely cultural because I used to choose the only person that I really used to share everything with and she would tell me yeah it's because your ancestors and maybe you you're you're you come from Aztec warriors and and that's where all that is coming from and and it made me dive deeper deeper and deeper to a point where now I, I promote my ancestral um, culture and it helped me realize oh man you know in the Aztec culture there was these people called uh, there was this thing called platica platica means to talk and it's what the Aztecs considered uh, therapy and every time you'd have these issues you'd go into these platicas with these elders and they would would, they would help you understand. And then that gave me the idea of, you know what, I don't want to be a, only a caregiver. I also want to be a woman in a relationship that can find love. I want to be a good friend in a, in a relationship with friends and a good family member too. So instead, I'm going to be a caregiver through my career. And that's when I decided to go into wellness and health and be a, a health coach and a wellness coach and a behavior change specialist. And all of this has helped because that need for me to, to want to help is now my career. And I don't have to then be doing it with my family or my relationships or anyone else. And, and it really did stem from a cultural place. So uh, thanks for mentioning that. That That's how my journey began. But I definitely want to hear how everyone started to to heal from all this as well. You know, we're, we're going through the season talking about all the symptoms, but there's so much overlap, right? Like, I feel like healing my relationships involved a lot of being able to manage my own emotions. In terms of, like, practical things that I started to do, I think I made a concerted effort to rebuild friendships um, and relationships with my family members, people who are not my romantic partner. And I, I found that that actually helped with my romantic relationship when I diversified my relationships more and started uh, having more people in my life because I wasn't putting everything on on one person anymore. You know, making sure that I'm bringing something to the table. I used to kind of think that relationships and love were this sort of like amorphous thing where it's emotions and feelings and just spending time together. And that's part of it. But like, you know, making sure that I'm contributing something in some way. And that doesn't have to be any like huge thing. I think part of it is just like showing up when I say I'm going to. Um, because I, I definitely had a lot of mood dependence where it's like, I'm not doing well, I'm not coming. There's, there's a lot of balance, right? Because there's some amount of that that's reasonable. Like, you can't be there for people all the time. And get into a place where if I say I'm going to do something, trying to follow through and being there for people when I'm not when I'm not making it just about, about me all the time. And I think one of the biggest things was understanding reciprocal disclosure. Disclosure kind of works in a way where you start with something relatively low ticket, and then the other person goes and you sort of increase in the in the sort of like the the intimacy or the intensity of the the details of that sort of back and forth what constitutes a low ticket or a high ticket item depends on your culture so um you know it's not like what those things are is is standard but one of the challenges when you come up to people in many cultures and the first thing you tell them is your trauma, that's something that most people would consider a very high ticket item. And so since most people have this sort of predisposition to want to climb a mountain like one step at a time versus jumping to the top, right? Most people seem to want to go that way. So when you jump to the top, it's, it's very off-putting. People don't know what to do with that, especially if they're expecting a low ticket item because if if, if that's what they're expecting, you give them something at the top, well, they think, is that the bottom of your mountain? Is it going to get worse from here? Is, is this like... And so I, I've gotten a lot better at paying attention, being really mindful of other people's reactions to what I'm saying. I think recognizing that it doesn't actually help my relationships to tell everybody everything on day one uh, has, really, has really been a big, big thing. And I think knowing when to walk away uh, from a situation and realizing that there are moments when my emotions are going to get the better of me and I don't need to try to force myself to stay there because any of the things that I say when I'm in that state, I'm not going to be able to come back from. So, yeah, what about y'all? I want to talk about three things. Number one, the interpersonal skills in DBT are extremely helpful. Um, like, dear man, give fast. Like, I used to never know how to bring up an issue with somebody. And it always, like, maybe it comes off passive aggressive because you don't know how. Or you say it in a way where it's super emotional. Or you wait till the very last minute. And, like, once your emotions are, like, really high. So 
all of those skills are really important. I'm pretty sure also it's a DBT skill, like the disclosure thing, like share what someone else is, like you want to kind of stay on the same level of what someone else is sharing with you. Um, And then another thing that, that was really important was also like starting to think about how if I have a really close friend who wants to hang out with other friends and has other people, that it's okay. Like you can still have a relationship with this person. I have a relationships with a lot of people and I can still have love for every person in my life. So like just reminding myself that I actually, I have a friend right now who we were really, really close when we first became friends. And then she became really close with somebody else and it really hurt my feelings. But instead of me like blowing up about it, I kind of, like, I kept it to myself. I, I do think I could bring it up to her and tell her that, like, it is affecting me and be honest about it. But I would never get really pissed off at, at this time. Like, if, um, you know, if something else happened, if, if she wanted to hang out with someone else instead of me or she wants to talk to someone else instead of me. So I kind of really learned to, like, ch- like keep that in check and to remind myself that it's okay. Um, and then lastly, just communication, uh, like I said, with Dear Man is huge, but also in terms of um, attachment styles, I don't know how much all of you guys know about attachment styles, but people with BPD tend to have um, very insecure attachment styles. So it could, it's typically more anxious where we fear abandonment. We want to be really close to people, but like a lot of us talk about this more like avoidant attachment style where we kind of push people away because we don't want to be so attached um, to them. Um, so kind of no I've been really noticing when I have more of this like avoidant attachment style when my attachment style becomes more anxious and I'm really working towards like having relationships that are more secure where I'm not so afraid of the abandonment and that you know doing things like pushing away or pulling in so much um so those are like three things I think that really helped me when I meet someone and I'm like finding myself like attaching to them I remind myself like okay people are good and people are bad there's no need to like idolize someone that you barely just met you know um and then circling back to some of the things that others have mentioned I used to overshare I would meet someone and I would just tell them my life story and that's not something that most people are like ready for when you first meet them so I remind myself to just just not go crazy with like staying attached to someone and also um as far as like splitting and you know trying to like cast someone away out of my life I remind myself again just because I feel like somebody has wronged me or done something terrible it's not always true and even if it is like they're still human people are allowed to make mistakes and sometimes that means that they hurt you or something goes bad in the relationship but it doesn't mean you need to like devalue them so i no longer um lash out at people as much as i used to because i keep it in mind we're all human we're all doing the best we can if somebody has upset me i know now to just talk to them about it or if I'm unsure if if what they did is like a reasonable thing to be upset about, then I ask someone, I like I usually ask my husband, like, you know, so-and-so did this or that. Is this, am I like just overthinking this or what? Um, so all of my friendships and relationships with my family members are much more stable now because I know to like calm down. If someone hurts me or whatever or does something that I disagree with, just calm down, you know, you can't even control other people. You can just talk to them and hopefully you guys can figure something out. If not, then sure, maybe it's time to walk away from from someone. But it doesn't mean that they're terrible. It just means right now is not a good time for you to be in their life or whatever, you know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Mo. I mean, we're all human and we're all doing the best that we can. I wanted to bring up two things. One is um, if you are in recovery, something that I personally went through was um, a, 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 a period of guilt where I felt very guilty for how I hurt other people in my last romantic relationships and with my friends. So I took a lot. So if I, I took a relationship that maybe I you know, there was some abuse on his end as well, but I took it because I said, I've done it to somebody else. 
I deserve it. This is the way I'm kind of cleansing myself from, from the guilt, which is unreasonable because uh, if you love someone as much, you also want them to be okay. So it, you're, you end up enabling a behavior. And so we have to be careful of that when we're on the road to the recovery. And the second thing I wanted to mention is that if you guys are out there listening right now, it is possible to have stable relationships. Even if your whole life it's felt like you haven't and friends and romantic relationships, no, 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 there's hope and there's, you can absolutely have them. Is it hard to get there? Absolutely. Does it take time? Yes. But anything worthwhile will be hard at the beginning. And it's going to be a lot of, a lot of personal work and a lot of just time to really see your surroundings and your actions and, and, and look inside and just know that it is possible and that you will get there no matter how crazy it might feel right now. So I just want to remind everyone that I feel very blessed to now have very stable relationships with my family, with friends, with romantic uh, relationships. And it, it's taken time, but we're there. So if we can do it, you can totally do it too. I love that <laughs> you just said that. Yes. Uh, oh, so true. Um, there's 100% hope of having, um, you know, more stable. I say more stable because I think every single relationship um, needs, you know, some level of work, investment, uh, you know. I actually got married um, five weeks ago. So um, there you go. If I can, then everybody can. <laughs> Um, for me, what, what, a few things that really helped that I hope um, will be useful for people. One was that awareness and that ability to describe the emotional experience, which sometimes is really hard because I'm like, what is actually going on? <laughs> sometimes I struggle. But even just to be like, okay, I'm like super angry right now or super sad right now. I don't, sometimes I don't know why, to be honest. And I just say, I don't, I'm not quite sure why I still need myself to explore, but I just want to let you know, because then you're allowing the other person as well to know that it's not on them. Because sometimes when we're experiencing so much emotion and we're like expressing it, then the person, like, I know my husband, you know, would say like, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Like, I don't know what's going to happen next. So now I, I just tell him, you know, this is how I'm feeling. It's not you. Um, I'm just kind of trying to understand myself, like what's, what's happening. Um, the second thing has been talked about um, by Mo before is around getting other people's perspective. Uh, recently, I was going for my Hindu. Um, I was going to France. I was like, you know, I'm meeting everyone. Anyway, my one of my friends lashed out at me <laughs> because she was like, oh, I'm like your second level friend or something. I don't know. And I was ready to be like, I don't want this relationship. I don't need this drama. I'm not this person anymore. I want stable relationships. And then I actually talked to my sister of all people. I would normally not do that, but she's got great friendships. Like um, I think Alex was saying her sister. So I was like, how would you react? And she was like, no, I think she's just being emotional. She just wants to, you know, you to reassure her. How about you try that? And I did that. And like, it went really well in person. And I was so anxious like to see her. I was like, oh, is she going, you know, and then it went really well so sometimes getting another person's perspective can be super helpful um, and then the third thing I would say is something I'm experimenting now with new relationships is to be more myself so I used to mirror completely the other person uh, you know just try trying to be loved trying to be liked you know oh you you like this music yeah I, I love that music oh <laughs> maybe I don't even know the artist but I just <laughs> you know go with the flow and I'm shifting now from that to being much more myself being comfortable with saying no I don't know this artist or I don't know this show or whatever it is and you know this is a bit more about me and how you know a bit of my story and stuff so being me I feel like I'm able to have new relationships that are deeper and that are different and it's new so I, I can't 100% feedback but if anyone out there is like completely being someone else to fit in then I would encourage them to try that just try and be you because we can only belong if we are ourselves we can only belong if we show up as we are and fitting in isn't the answer to that I think it's important to keep in mind also that there in any relationship some amount of instability is inevitable it doesn't have to be necessarily from a person it can be from anything 
uh, financial instability or, you know, there should be some emotional instability that's not for any reason. You know, don't be hypervigilant about it, I guess. You know, normal relationships, people get up under each other's skin all the time. Um, my relationship I'm in now, I've been in for almost 15 years. And um, oddly enough, when I got in recovery was when it became unstable. Because I was, I had to tear down the Frankenstein's monster of my personality that I had borrowed from other people. And figure out who I was and what I was willing to compromise on, what I was willing to put up with, and who, what level of agency I need in the relationship. And, oh, she didn't like that at all. <laughs> so we're, we're working through that slowly but surely. So, yeah, there's, it's a lot of work. And, again, like I said, my relationship was the opposite. We were very stable in the beginning because I was a friggin' doormat. I never objected to anything. And then, you know, got in recovery, got in therapy, and was like, who am I? And she's like, I don't really care who you are. <laughs> I want you to be the same. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. So, and again, the some level of instability is inevitable. You know, you're going to have a fight about what about pizza toppings or something stupid like that. So just don't sweat that. Don't sweat the small stuff. Jay brings up a really, really, really important point. And I experienced something a little bit similar in, in the sense, like, I feel like my relationship with my husband, because I started dating him when I was first in DBT. So the beginning of our relationship was sort of that idyllic, I think he's amazing. And then it got to a point where things kind of got unstable because my BPD symptoms started coming out. And then strangely, so I'm one of these people who was always very low functioning. I couldn't hold a job, couldn't do all these things. And like the people-pleasing aspect of BPD, I was in so much pain, I wasn't capable of thinking of other people enough to people-please them. That's actually something I learned through my recovery process, was through, when I was in DBT, I was like, oh, here are all these things I can do to make people happy. And like at the beginning of my recovery, I almost went way too far in the other direction, where it's like, now I'm gonna bend over backwards for everyone because I, I don't ever wanna be in a position where they think of me as that disordered girl again. And then in the last couple of years, once I started hitting functional recovery, it was like, okay, no, I had to find a balance. It's okay to be me. Not every emotional reaction I have is irrational. Not every reaction is, is, some, is a BPD thing. Yeah, that was just, that's what I was thinking about that. Kind of piggybacking off of that, I do think that, you know, once you become more sure of yourself and who you are, you learn about boundaries. And I think that's super important to having like more stable relationships is knowing who you are, knowing where your morals are and what you will and won't put up with. That's the tough part of recovery because you realize there are some people who just are not a good fit for you. And so... You know, you have to remove yourself from them. And um, it's hard to deal with, you know, because like there's someone um, in my family that I had to cut ties with. And it was so hard because I had such a great bond with them and I loved them very much, but they just weren't a good person, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, recovery is not always easy as far as like dealing with unstable relationships, but. I would say it's very important to learn what your boundaries are and to stick with them. We put so much pressure on ourselves because sometimes we forget that we do not operate in a bubble. Not everything is our fault. A lot of times people that we're in these relationships with are also contributing to the issues as well. So like Jay was saying, you know, things kind of got shaken up in the relationship and more unstable as he started putting up boundaries for himself. Some people really don't like that. If you don't have boundaries for yourself and all of a sudden you're putting up boundaries, that's gonna be a shock to the people around you. Keep with those boundaries because that is gonna save you, but it's gonna take some time for people to accommodate to that or get used to that. But at the same time, if someone can't get used to that and can't respect your boundaries, I think that says something about the other person. 
and says something about maybe you might want to revisit what that relationship means to you and like or if you really want to hold on to that relationship if it's really healthy for you in recovery you kind of have to be really selfish you really have to put yourself first and even if you care so much about other people in your life if they're making your life more miserable sometimes like it's so hard because we're not used to doing this in a way like when we really care about someone but just like cutting someone out or distancing yourself from someone in a healthy way because they're not respecting your boundaries um so it's not easy to do but in order to really have more stable relationships you just have to stick with those boundaries last year i had to cut my sister out of my life my older sister i love her fiercely to distraction i would do anything for her and i realized that for the last 10 years she's not forgiven me for something I said or did, and she she absolutely couldn't get past it. She don't even remember what it is anymore. And so I just, I had to, rather than have some point every day where I was just wrecked in despair, I just had to stop. I had to cut her out. And sooner or later, there are going to be people who do that. They're not going to forgive and forget. And that's their, that's their prerogative. They want whatever they want to do, that's them. You can't force them to, to forgive you. And maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they shouldn't for them. Whatever's best for them. So if you do have to go no contact with people or cut them out of your life, that's okay. And that can be a more extreme, less fun to talk about aspect of recovery absolutely i've definitely been on the receiving end of that and i think that is one of the hard things where we're trying to balance the validating ourselves and validating other people's experiences and some of us said things or did things that we can't take back for some people it's it goes enough against their values that they have to say no i'm done and and you know, I'm very lucky. I've had some family members who were kind of like who distanced distance themselves from me and I was able to recover those relationships. Um, but there are other people in my life where that wasn't an option. And and I think letting go of the guilt of that is really important to be able to get to the point where it's like the person that they dumped, that person is part of my history. I may not be that person now, but I recognize that I can't, I don't exist in a vacuum. I can't take back the things that I did and and I'm going to move forward and forgive myself for that person that I used to be because I know that I've done the work to not be her anymore. So does anybody have any last burning things to say? <laughs> I'm good. Okay. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching this episode of the VPD Bunch. Make sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you find out when we drop a new episode. Next week, we will be back with episode three which is, I think it's Unstable Identity. It is. I'm excited. <laughs> Bye. Till next time. Bye. See ya.